Uh, one extremely common thing to see this time of year in, in churches and a lot of our homes and our front yards, uh, there are a lot of uh, nativity scenes. We've got a couple on the, on the stage up here. They come usually in two different sort of collections. One like up here is just sort of the first family, Mary and Joseph and the baby, Jesus, maybe an animal or two. And the other style has the full scene, right? It's everybody together. Well, you've got the first family and two other groups of people. Who are those? Shepherds and wise men. And we would get them all together for one big Christmas family portrait, even though if we read the stories, we never see shepherds and wise men together because they weren't there together. Also, of course, we all know how many wise men were there. Three, right? Only we're not told that either. We have no idea how many wise men there. They brought three gifts. So we assume we always see, if our screen actually works for a change, you can pray for that. We always see three guys on camels, right? Well, we may be wrong about a thing or two in our brains about the nativity scene, about the story of the wise men or the magi. So let's, let's read that story again this morning for Christmas this year. And see if the, the visit of the Magi to, to see the young Jesus who was maybe a couple of months old, maybe a couple of years old, I don't know. But uh, let's see if we can glean something different about how you and I maybe should approach Christmas. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, this is Micah, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9, After hearing the king, the wise men went their way, and, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. 
There's our passage this morning, and that is actually, that's the first story. It's what Matthew, when he was putting his gospel together, that's what he wanted to be the very first story about the birth of Jesus. In fact, it's interesting, Matthew doesn't, he decides not to give us a story of the night of Jesus' birth like Luke does. In fact, this is all he says about the birth of Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's it. Just a passing mention of, oh, the God of the universe was born as a baby. But then he wants to get our attention. The word might not be translated in your Bible. That's why I chose this translation to have on the screen. But after just this passing mention, oh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but behold, the Greek word is edu, it means pay attention. Look at here. I've got something really important that I want you to notice. And all of a sudden, some foreigners who were polytheistic, they believed in many gods, surely. They were pagans. They take center stage and become the main characters in Matthew's very first story about the, after the birth of Jesus. It's so interesting. I don't think it can't possibly be an accident. I think if nothing else, Matthew wants us to know this. Whatever far-flung region of the world you might be from, like say, Imperial Nebraska or thereabouts. This baby was born for you too. He's king of Israel. But he was born for you no matter who you were. So behold, wise men, your Bible might call them magi. That's just the Persian word for wise men. So whatever your Bible says, wise men or magi, it's right. They came from the east. They, they appear in Jerusalem. Another thing I would probably trans, change in the translation. This word, they didn't sneak into Jerusalem. This was a very public appearance. Uh, it's a word that means it was a big deal. That's why everybody was stirred up and troubled in town. They show up in town. Here's this probably whole caravan. They've got some very valuable stuff with them. They would have needed some security they show up and they ask a really weird question. Hey, where's the one who's been born who's going to be king of the Jews? Israel hasn't had a king in like 600 years. It wouldn't have been legal for Israel to have a king. They're under Roman domination. The guy who's called king in this passage, the Romans just let him, self, let him call himself king. He's an appointee. He's put up with but he's not a king. It would be like if you read a news story or maybe you were visiting Washington, D.C. and this caravan of limousines pull into town full of foreign dignitaries and they get out and start asking, where is the one who's been born king of America? We know that someone has just been born who's going to be king in America. It'd be like, America, we can't have a king. That wouldn't even be legal. Would we even want that? And we would probably want to know what makes you think 
that right now there's been someone born who's going to be king. Either they get asked that question or they're prepared for it because they start answering it. They tell people what evidence they have that leads them to believe a king has been born. They say, we have seen his star. His star. He's got his own star. And we've seen it. And they either say, your Bible might say, in the east or when it appeared or when it rose. Any of those are fine. There's a, there's a word that means east that's the same word as sunrise for obvious reasons. So well, this could be either thing. Either we study the stars and we saw either when we were back east or when we were looking east, which wouldn't have been toward Jerusalem, but there's something in the heavens that let us know there's a new king born. He's going to be king of the Jews, king over Israel. But who are these guys? Who are these guys? Why would they want to travel so far? Uh, they're not Jewish. They're not Israelite. Why would they care that a new king has been born in some far-flung land? What made them think there was? So here's a little brief history of the Magi. The, these wise men, they're Persian originally, think Iraqi originally, Way back, the, the Magi were a privileged class of VIPs, very important people. Back in uh, ancient like Iraq, originally they were all Chaldeans, which is an ancient Iraqi uh, kind of culture. Uh, they didn't stay that way, but the Magi, they were among the most educated people in all of the world. They, they survived as a, a group of very important advisors to kings and emperors over centuries and centuries. No matter who was in control, they would keep the magi around as advisors because they were smart, they were, you know, wise men, and they were extremely schooled in all sorts of things. Some of it was what we might call the magic arts. We get our word magic magician from magi they did stuff like spells uh, trying to forecast the future through astrology and stuff like that they did that stuff but they knew uh, agriculture architecture they knew world religions they knew uh, f uh, they studied cultures so that they could advise whoever was in control what maybe some conquered people would care about would believe in the best look probably anywhere in the world of what, what it meant to be a Magi, what a Magi was, is found in our Old Testament book of Daniel. Like Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel. Daniel was a young Jewish boy. He was taken as a prisoner of war from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he was put in Magi school. He was trained as a magi. The, the, the Babylonians would take the best and the brightest from their conquered people and they'd put them in magi school. D Daniel rises to become the head magi. That's why Daniel was so important if you know his story. That's why he was an advisor to the Babylonians. After the Babylonians get defeated, suddenly Daniel's advising the Persian kings because that's what magi did.
because they knew they wanted to know everything about everyone's religions. And we know Daniel uh, was an important magi. We're talking hundreds of years before this story. But the scriptures that Daniel believed in would have been a part of their library and knowledge base. And Daniel's scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, always promised a very special king. In one place, in the book of in the law, that would have been a part of the scriptures Daniel believed in, studied. We read this that a star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. So there's one place at least where that special king of of Israel, the scepter, is even called a star. So maybe this was part of their clues. But also in the book of Daniel, I won't take the time to go through it, but Daniel lays out a timeline of when the special promised king, we call him Christ in, from Greek or Messiah in Hebrew. Daniel lays out a timeline that predicts pretty closely to when this king should show up. So maybe that's how they knew. And, and they're astronomers, they're astrologers. And as they, they spent a lot of time studying the stars, mainly because they didn't have TV, and what else are you going to do at night? And so something happens in the heavens, and they apparently have some evidence that some ancient scriptures promise a special king, and the time is right, and they see something in the heavens that gives them enough evidence to believe that king is here. And by the way, in the ancient world, Jesus is not the only king who was is, who is said to have his own star or have his birth foretold in the heavens. Other kings said that too. So this wouldn't have, it's unusual, don't get me wrong, but not unheard of. Whatever it is, they set out to go find this king. One more thing from these verses that I want you to pay attention to before we leave it though. Whatever they see in the heavens and in the evidence they have that tells them a new king is born, the only thing they know is he's king of the Jews and they head to the capital. This star doesn't lead them yet to wherever this king is. How do we know? Because they go to Jerusalem and they have to ask directions. Hey, where's the king? They don't know. They assume people there might know. But they don't. Well, Herod and other important people, they knew who the Magi were. They were familiar with those sorts of folks. So this causes quite a stir. So when Herod heard this, he was very troubled. And so was the rest of Jerusalem. Under Roman rule, you really don't want someone running around claiming to be king. Herod, who is, we'll call him a governor. Herod, under his watch, certainly doesn't want some group of people claiming to have a king or some person claiming to be a king. So he gets pretty stirred up about this. He collects his Old Testament experts. Herod wasn't a Jewish believer, but he collected his scribes, experts in the law and priests and asks them sort of the same question the Magi had been asking. Where does the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, where does the Old Testament say 
the promised king is going to be born. His advisors say, well, that's an easy one. Prophet Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's right down the road from Judea, or excuse me, from Jerusalem. So Herod gets a, gets a meeting with these magi, asks them, he wants to know exactly when they saw that star. Notice Herod doesn't disbelieve the story of the star. He doesn't disbelieve the story about the Christ or Messiah coming to Bethlehem. He has enough evidence that he thinks maybe a very special baby has been born. He's just not happy about it. We know from the next story in the book of Matthew, he doesn't want to go worship the king. He wants to kill him. But that's the Magi's plan so far. They want to find out where this special king has been born. They're confident he's here. They just want to find him. And they want, like Herod says, they want to worship him. And that, that, little, that Greek word, proskeneo, is the Greek word. These wise men, I don't believe, want to make their religion based on this new baby they've never met. Not at first, for sure. This word for worship, it becomes to mean our, comes to mean our idea of worship. At first, it just means to bow before. If you've ever seen a movie or a painting where someone is in front of an ancient king and they're bowing down, maybe they're kissing a ring, kissing his feet, kissing his robe, something like that, that's proskuneo. When these wise men set out to find this very special king, that's their plan. They've got very expensive gifts. They want to get on, maybe just for them, maybe it's on behalf of their bosses back east. They want to get in on the ground floor of of appreciating, of ingratiating themselves to this brand new royal family. They want to be first and they want to formally bow and give gifts to this new king. That's the plan. So they learn, maybe you should uh, check out Bethlehem. And in verse 9, we read this. When they heard what Herod had to say, they departed. And now Matthew uses that pay attention word again. They departed and behold, pay attention here. Check this out. Looky here. I'm going to tell you something that's really unusual and important. Behold, the star which they had seen either when it appeared or when they were back east or when they were looking east or whatever. But that same star it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now listen, I've heard, I've heard some really good explanations of what the wise men might have seen when they were back in the Persian area, what we call Iran today. I've heard some good explanations of what might have happened in the stars and planets that would make them think today is the time, that that time was the time. Uh, My favorite one has something to do with the planet Saturn because it's associated with the day Saturday and that's the special Jewish Sabbath and it was lined up and it was perfect and it was, and that made them think 
I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. There's never been a planet or a star tell somebody, point out an ex- a house. One house. Like the North Star can always show you north, but it can't show you someone's house in North Platte, right? It can't show you an address in North Dakota. But that's what Matthew says happens. At first, they just go to Jerusalem and ask directions. When they leave Jerusalem, behold, the star moves. It guides them. And it pinpoints one specific location. Would that be unusual? It's so unusual that it's, and it's not lost on these wise men. Because in verse 10, Matthew says the reaction that comes out of these guys, it's hard for me to overstate how emotional Matthew says they were. This translation is pretty good. It says, when they saw the star, the one that just moved and showed them one house, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Literally, here's what Matthew says. They rejoiced. What's it mean to rejoice? What's the root word of rejoice? Joy. Rejoice just means to let your joy out, right? So Matthew says they rejoiced. That already means let your joy out. He says they rejoiced joy. So that's already emphatic. Then he says they rejoiced joy mega. So now they rejoice with this extra joy that's mega joy. And then after that, Matthew says, and exceeding even that. So Matthew says, they rejoiced joy. The joy was pouring out of them. And it was mega joy rejoicing. And then Matthew says, and whatever you picture when you think of that, this far exceeds whatever you've got in your mind. They have a joy off the joy scale. I don't know what ancient Persians did. Did they chest bump? Did they high five? Did they sing? Did they dance? I don't know what they did, but Matthew says they were doing more than you can think because they've been watching stars their whole lives. And something that looks like a star just led them to one place. They know we have just been guided by some supernatural being force, whatever. By the way, there are places in the Bible where angels are called stars. Maybe that's what this is. I don't know. But finally, in verse 11, it's time to enter the house. And notice, verse 11, when they had come to the house... Jesus was born in, in a stable, in a barn, right? Some place where animals were kept. Why was he born there? Well, you know the story from Luke. They, they couldn't find another place, and, and it was time, right? So they just found a stable. That does, but Joseph naturally would have kept looking for better accommodations. Apparently, by the time the wise men get there, he had found some. They come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Now remember, the wise men had a plan 
of what they wanted to do when they got in there. Do you remember what it was? We have come to what? We have come to worship him, but it's that proskineo word. I don't think they understood they were coming, that this was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know that they understood that. I don't, certainly don't think they probably believed it on their way. I think they have a plan for a ceremony, formality. We want to get in on the ground floor with this special king. They want to formally bow. They want to present their gifts. And that's not what happens. What we're told is, when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. Matthew uses another special word here. By the way, if your Bible says they bowed down, cross that one out. Because that's not what Matthew says. I'm not sure fell down is strong enough because Matthew uses a Greek word, peepto. And that word is the word for an unplanned, uncontrolled fall. You know what word I think it's closest to in English? Collapse. Collapse. And here's why I think that Matthew, he likes to do this in his book, by the way. Matthew's going to use these words again later in his book. In the life of Jesus, there's another story where three men collapse in fear by Jesus. Do you know what story that is? It's the transfiguration. If you know that story, Jesus takes his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. He takes them up a hill, and while he is up there, like his humanity sort of comes off like Clark Kent taking off the, uh, uh, the super, the, his outfit and Superman's underneath, and Jesus is transformed, and uh, he, his glory fitting his deity like shines visibly. And you know what the disciples do? They collapse. And they worship. And I don't know how or why, but that's what happened to these wise men. When they go in that little house and they lay eyes on that baby, they lose it. They lose control of themselves. And what's, what's so amazing about this is these, these are guys who have seen it all. They've been in the presence of throne-sitting royalty. They, they, they rub elbows with the pinnacle of power. And in spite of their plans, in spite of their education, in spite of their wealth, and in spite of everything else, when they laid eyes on that specific baby, they collapsed. And they worshipped. And it was only after they pulled themselves together that they were able to finally present their gifts. Gifts truly fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Family, there's a, there are some lessons about our Christmas, even this year, in that story. First, like I said, when Matthew sat down after Jesus was gone and, 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 you know, dead, buried, resurrected, gone, I want to tell Jesus' story. Where, where do I start with his life? 
Matthew probably wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. But he makes sure the first people to come and see Jesus are some pagan foreigners. Educated, wealthy, powerful, influential, who fall down and worship this king. I don't know what brings you here. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you're from or where you're going. But I really want to encourage you to be more like these guys than some of the other people we see in the passage. Because there are other characters besides the wise men. Herod and the Jewish scribes. Once they heard from the wise men whom they respected, they had just as much evidence as the wise men had. They heard it. They knew, man, these guys are smart guys. These guys don't uh, chase rabbit trails, right? They're not known for that. They had the same evidence and looked at that evidence and Herod's like, I I don't want to bow down to that king. I want to remove that king. Herod had plans. Herod had things he wanted to do. He had things he wanted to accomplish. And that baby might get in the way of what Herod wanted. The wise men had plans too. But they took the evidence they had and they started looking. We have enough evidence to suggest that just maybe there's a very special one who's been born that we need to go see. They let the evidence they had just uh, lead them in curiosity. Let's go see. Let's check this out. Once they decided to check this out, we want to see the one the Old Testament, uh, the Scriptures pointed to. We want to meet this one. Once they started asking for guidance... They got it. God still works that way. He may not not send a star or an angel to show you a house. But if you will decide you need to check out who that baby is and you ask for guidance to see him for who he truly is, God will help you. He might send you to someone else to ask but he still leads people toward his son if they look. So for this Christian, for this Christmas, excuse me, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to, no matter what else you have planned, no matter what else you have to do, no matter what else uh, the world or, or, or your education or anything else suggests I want you to incur I want to encourage you to make sure you consider Christ. What we need as just as human beings more than we need anything else is to come to a point where we sort of collapse our life and throw it in front of that one who will be king. He is going to be king. The question 
is, is just whether I will accept that, whether I will bow down like the wise men or refuse like Herod. This Christmas, consider Jesus Christ. He came for all kinds of people, even your kind. And he will save you from the judgment that is to come. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, we are so grateful that you saw fit to send your Son to be the Savior of the world. We're so grateful for the scriptures that you, uh, that you inspired and, uh, and have kept for us. That we can see uh, the wise men, the magi, in spite of their background and their plans, coming and falling down before the one who was born to be the king of Israel, but who will be the savior of anyone who will believe in what he did at the cross that he did for them. Thank you for Christ, for Emmanuel, for God with us, and for salvation in him. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we will finish together.